0: Whoa!
1: And also thank you to all those who participated recently in what was called our Byzantine Youth Rally. Now that Byzantine is spelled B-Y-Z-A-N-T-E-E-N. And we capitalized that last part, T-E-E-N. Yes, the pun is intended. Byzantine Youth Rally. It's a rally that's done every other year, it's held at different locations throughout the country, every other year for the benefit of the teenage population of the Byzantine churches, most specifically the Byzantine churches from the Ruthenian jurisdiction, the Metropole of Pittsburgh, as we are also called. See, there's different jurisdictions that follow the Byzantine Rite. You have to think of the Byzantine Rite as like an umbrella, and underneath the umbrella are the different jurisdictions, all having to do with where they came from geographically, other words, their ethnic background. And when I refer to the Byzantine church or my Byzantine church, it refers to the Ruthenian jurisdiction. That jurisdiction means those who followed the Byzantine rite that came from, had their roots in, at least the church itself. Not all people who follow the Byzantine rite in America today had their roots in a Slavic country, (laughs) but the church itself had its roots in Central Europe the actual epicenter of Europe where Slovakia, Ukraine, Hungary all converge in the Carpathian mountain area, which is basically lower Tatra Mountains, a beautiful area of the world. And from there, immigrants came in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and from those Slavic lands, and they brought their Byzantine Catholic faith with them. So they became known as Ruthenian, which is an anglicized word of Rusin, See, Rusin were the original peoples of that region, dating all the way back to about the 7th century, and these people settled there, became known as the people of Rus, the Rusin people, and in English, it's the word is Ruthenian. So, whenever we refer to the Ruthenian church or Rusin church, Carpatho-Rusin, for instance, it means those people who were evangelized by Cyril Methodius, Byzantine missionaries, back in the 9th century, who lived in that region that is the epicenter of Europe, the Carpathian Mountain area, many of them migrating to the United States, as I mentioned, during that great flush of immigration in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So for the Ruthenian jurisdiction, every other year we hold a national youth rally where we gather together all the youth from our parishes, Now, the reason why that is significant is because the Eastern churches, all of them, especially in the Western world, are very sparsely populated and very spread out. And we thought that there was a need, and we started this back in the year 2000, there was a need to bring all these young people together, you know, the current and future of our church, so they could meet each other and they could develop relationships and share faith and grow in the faith together and meet other priests and nuns from their church In many regions of the country, of the United States, there are people who are Byzantine Catholic who have no Byzantine Catholic church anywhere near them, or they may have one and no others nearby. So they can sometimes feel isolated or even disconnected with their churches. It's not like in the Latin Rite. A Latin Rite church is very plentiful in most parts of the United States. You get into some of the western part of the United States, and it gets a little bit more sparse, but basically the Latin rite is a lot more common. The eastern churches are much, much less common, and their populations, therefore, are much more spread out. So we needed this networking. And the Byzantine Youth Rally was really born from something that's coming up in September, Labor Day weekend, which has been going on for a lot of years— It's the traditional Labor Day weekend pilgrimage to Mount St. Macrina in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. This is the home of our Byzantine Catholic nuns of Sisters of St. Basil. And for many, many years, they have put on a Labor Day weekend pilgrimage, and people come from all around to attend that pilgrimage. Well, during that pilgrimage, in the last couple decades, there was a growing youth program. The youth even had their own place to meet, which is called the Prayer Garden and the program developed, and it grew in size. And eventually, it was perceived that, you know, these young people are coming here. They really need to be with each other. They want to be with each other even longer than this pilgrimage. And they want to know and meet other Byzantine Catholics. So that's how we started the what is known today as the Byzantine Youth Rally. And we brought all of our teenagers together every other year in the same venue, and one of the highlights of that certainly is for me is when all of our bishops will attend the youth rally, and they will be together at liturgy, together with the representation of all the youth from of their entire church of our entire Ruthenian Metropolis of Pittsburgh. That's the specific name for our church. Meaning, all the Byzantine Catholics of the Ruthenian jurisdiction from coast to coast, representatives from all over the country together with their bishops. It's really, I think, a very moving experience. It has been for me. I remember when it first happened a few rallies ago, when it happened for the first time. And it's a unique experience and one that is vital to us. You see, to understand the Eastern Catholic churches is to understand a number of things that are important to understand. Many of you listening, and I want to thank you for listening, I also want to acknowledge those who were part of the Youth Rally this year. Some of you came up to me and mentioned about hearing me on Lay of the East. It was good to meet Father Arter. He is from our parish in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I want to say hello to all those who mentioned that they hear Lay of the East. But for those of you who are listening now... You might actually have come to the Eastern Catholic Churches, specifically the Byzantine Catholic Church, recently. Maybe you have no heritage whatsoever in, in the Slavic countries, no ancestry there at all, but you have found a home in the Eastern Catholic Churches. And this is good. This is a good thing because it shows how the two lungs of the church work together and breed together, East and West, that there's a place for people, in the church, if for whatever reason you feel that you are called to one of the other rites of the church, in other words, to worship in another rite of the church, there are many rites of the Catholic church. The Latin rite is the most known, but maybe you've felt called to move from there to the Byzantine rite, and sometimes vice versa it happens. The thing to remember is that the Byzantine church, any Eastern Catholic church, but I'm going to speak specifically about my own, the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church that every church is more than just the liturgy on Sunday. that that liturgy is the confluence of, of a history, of an ancestry, of a patrimony. And it is the center of what will inform people for the future. So liturgy is really the focal point, the center of everything. That's why we call Eucharist the source and summit of everything in our, in our faith. But it is in the liturgy that we actually look to see what this church really is, the why behind it, the fuller vision, the fuller picture of it. It's not just a different kind of liturgy on Sunday. It is a liturgy that is at the center of a living church with its own history and its own destiny that has to be charted and worked out. And right now, the Byzantine Catholic churches in America are going through a very interesting time. It's almost like a throwback to history. At the same time, it's a looking forward. And what I'm referring to is there is a meeting that's happening between our churches in Europe, which are our mother churches. It's where our church came from before it was in America. There is an opening up, a greater connection between our churches in Europe with our churches here in America. And what's happening is that two of them are coming together. And there's something very interesting that's happening that was revealed in one of the presentations at this recent Byzantine youth rally. It was held in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, at beautiful St. Vincent's College in Latrobe. At a certain point in the schedule, the bishops and a few priests from Europe made a presentation to the teenagers about the martyred bishops from our church. Those bishops who were martyred under communism have been declared blessed by St. John Paul II. These three bishops in particular were Bishop Romja, Bishop Goydich, and Bishop Hopko. Those are their last names. They were in the area that we now know today as Western Ukraine and Eastern Slovakia. And that region was hit very hard by communist atheist oppression. And when we return, we're going to talk more about that presentation in light of the young people and the future of the Byzantine churches in America.
0: I am Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com, and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Here we are sitting in the middle of the prairie at Annunciation Parish in beautiful Homer Glen, Illinois. And with me is Father Tom Lawyer. Father Tom, please tell us about... Prairie Fest. This is the 11th anniversary
1: of Prairie Fest, which is a festival for the entire family where you'll enjoy music, a grand cash
0: raffle with $15,000 in total prizes, a beer tent, animal shows, juggling, wine art, and more. Prairie Fest kicks off Friday, August 10th at 5 p.m. with music by Echo and Ransom. Next at 7:30, enjoy longtime Chicagoland favorites, M and R Rush. Saturday, August 11th, is Family Day, starting at noon with kids' games, animal shows, juggling, and much, much more. The music kicks off with Common Allies at 4.30. Next, at 7.30, enjoy the Hat Guys. Sunday, August 12th, is Polka Day. Starting at 11 a.m., prepare to polka with the Polka Generations Band. While you're enjoying all this music, food, and fun, take a guided tour of this beautiful prairie and experience the church's
1: breathtaking interior during Annunciation
0: Parish Church Tours. Only a $5 cover for those 14 and up. $3 Three dollar cover for those three through thirteen. Five dollars for on premises parking each day, or free shuttle from the remote lot.
1: For early registration discount for the wine art studio and event schedule, visit ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com.
0: Prairie Fest Friday through Sunday, August tenth through the twelfth, at Annunciation Parish, 14610 Willcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian Spirituality,
1: Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. I know you've been hearing about it, but I do want to say again and again, or as we say in the Slavic languages, Paki Paki, in other words, again and again. We say that during our litanies about our upcoming Prairie Fest at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. That's Friday to Sunday, August 10th through 12th nonstop music, fellowship, great children's area, great family activities. I personally give tours of our award-winning prairie, which is basically the extension of our sacramental Eucharistic worldview into nature. We have tours of our church. You can see our church, learn about it. We have all kinds of foods. And just a whole lot of fun for three days, Friday to Sunday, August 10th through the 12th. They want to find out more about it, the schedule and so on, just go to ByzantineCatholic.com, ByzantineCatholic.com. That's Prairie Fest. As mentioning earlier before the break that the Byzantine churches, for those of you who may have joined them recently or maybe a few years ago, or You're part of a Byzantine church, a Byzantine parish or mission, but you have zero connection with a Slavic heritage. I mean, that's fine. Obviously, you're perfectly welcome. You don't have to be of a certain ethnic heritage to belong to an Eastern church. Although some Eastern churches, both Catholic and Orthodox, will have varying degrees of the ethnic component to them. The Eastern churches and their culture, their liturgy, are very much in a sense, intertwined. Now, you have to separate them out to an extent, but you can't do that entirely. There's really no actual mark of demarcation. Well, this is the liturgy, and this is the ethnic background, because the liturgy, remember, liturgy grew out of a culture. So the Byzantine liturgy, it is what it is because this is how the Greek-speaking people worshiped and saw things and expressed things centuries ago. And then those Greek-speaking people brought this style of worship to the Slavic-speaking people, and to others, but largely the Slavic-speaking people. So, the Slavic-speaking people then took that liturgy, and they expressed it through some of their culture, especially in their music, their chant. So, what you sing, the, the melodies you sing in a Byzantine church of the Ruthenian jurisdiction in America, are a combination of ancient greek tones together with basically the folk and religious music of the carpathian mountain region. So you see even though you may not be of a slavic heritage, when you worship in a byzantine liturgy in america, it is an intertwining, a kind of an integration of culture and prayer itself. There is no way to fully pull them out from each other. However, it is important, most important to know that the liturgy is there for all people, for all time. Even though it has a specific heritage and it has a certain character of its ethnic component or background, it is for everyone, it is open to all. So hopefully, everyone feels welcome. But as we come to Byzantine liturgy, as I mentioned earlier, and I can't stress this enough. We must see the liturgy in the context of the whole church, with what it suffered, with its glories, with its difficulties, its human weaknesses, its human glories, its saints. It's a living church, and it has to be seen that way in context of its history, its liturgy. And if we really are going to be faithful to the Byzantine church, if we've joined a Byzantine parish or mission, that we have to do something which was echoed time and time again by one of my seminary professors, and he was so correct. He would say to us seminarians, gentlemen, remember, live the liturgy, live the liturgy. The Byzantine Church is about a way of life, not just a different kind of liturgy on Sunday. Yes, it is a unique liturgy on Sunday, just as a Latin Rite liturgy is, is its own liturgy. Each liturgy is unique, but it's not just the liturgy on Sunday. Think of the liturgy stretching into our lives, into every aspect of our life. We call this the domestic church. Liturgy informs life, and life informs liturgy. Think of it as something flowing in and out of a particular center, almost like your heart. Blood comes into your heart, and blood is pumped out of your heart. But it all comes through in and out of your heart. That's the same thing with liturgy. The vision of life, the vision of our faith, the sum total of our faith pumps in and out of liturgy like a great liturgical heart. And so, if it's pumping things out, it's pumping it out beyond the confines of the church building. It's pumping it out into our hearts, our souls, and from there, our lives, our homes, the workplace, politics, government, every aspect of life. Liturgy gives us a vision of life, and our home life should be colored and tailored by the liturgy. This is what we mean by domestic church. It's like stretching the liturgy into your home, into your home life. Let's look at this in terms of some specifics. First of all, liturgy is communal, Eucharistic, which means there has to be a communal dimension preserved as best as possible in our households, especially if we have family, kids, children. We've got to be able to gather at least once a day, preferably for the suppertime meal. At that meal, remember, the meal is an extension of the Eucharist. It's it's an agape, it's it's it, it is reminiscent of holy communion, of that holy gathering, of that union communion of persons that God is, and because we're made in the image and likeness of God, God calls us also to be a communion of persons. And sitting around a dinner table is a great opportunity to stretch the liturgical vision into our lives. And it's essential for our lives. And while we're sitting around there, we're together, first of all. Secondly, we do God talk. Maybe have somebody do what they do in Byzantine monasteries, read from the scripture or spiritual book. A few lines while everyone remains in silence and listens. They can still eat, but they can listen in silence. Do that just for a minute or two, or maybe longer, 30 seconds, whatever. Let it develop according to how the Holy Spirit is moving your household. And after that, do some God talk, reflect on what was read, ask some questions, have everybody say something, offer something, or ask them just, well, how did you see God in your life today? In other words, how was your life a liturgy? What do I mean by that? It means we saw, sensed in a very palpable real way, the presence of God, and we responded to that with prayer, with gratitude, with offering. That should be what we do all day long every minute, even in negative things, tragic things, frustrating things, we look to see what is God doing in this? What is he saying? What does he, want, what does he want us to learn? How is he trying to form us through things that we may not even like or might be uncomfortable for us? In our liturgy, we pray for a spirit of vigilance, and we do so during a certain critical part of the liturgy, a very critical time in the liturgy. What we do is we pray for vigilance, and vigilance means being spiritually awake to witness the presence of God, acting. And from that, we then act according to that vision. So you see how liturgy, even one single word in liturgy, is supposed to influence and tailor and color our moment-to-moment life outside and beyond the confines of the church walls. We live the liturgy. Liturgy also tells us that there is a prayer life not just the divine liturgy, or as the Latin rite would say, the mass, not just that. Most people are familiar with that as the primary form of prayer. And indeed, it is the source and summit of our existence, Eucharist, that is the prime, essential form of worship, is the Eucharist liturgy. That's the high point, the culmination to all other prayer. However, it's not the only form of prayer. There is in the Byzantine church, and very similar in the Latin rite church as well, There is a divine office that consists of prayers, which actually, if you take their fullest form, it's practically nonstop praying, almost 24 hours. In fact, there were monasteries that did do that. They took shifts and they prayed continuously, unceasing prayer, all through the night, 24 hours a day. You don't have to pray 24 hours a day. Sometimes you'll be asleep. But you can pray, as the Bible says, pray often, pray always, pray unceasingly. One of those ways is a divine office. Divine office consists of a matins or morning prayers followed by hours. Now the hours are prayers. They're more brief. They rely a lot on the Psalms. They happen at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. And then there is the evening prayer, the Vespers. And during the day, the high point would be, of course, the divine liturgy. After the Vespers, there is a night prayer called a Compline prayer. Then there's even a midnight prayer after that. And that eventually just about brings you into matins, and the cycle begins all over again. Now, I don't know. No, I'm not expecting you to pray 24 hours a day, at least not not in that sense, in the formal way. But you can start to become familiar with the Divine Office and do what you can of it. In fact, you can get it through your your iPhones now, or for Android phones. Just go to ecpubs.com. Ecpubs.com. There's other sources as well online. So the Divine Office is much more accessible nowadays thanks to, in part, to social media. Learn the divine office. Pray parts of it. That will help you with other forms of prayer and will help you to make of your household that domestic church. Where we pray always, where are constant state of vigilance and of prayer. And prayer means, basically, dialogue with God. A rising of our heart to God and listening to God as He speaks to us It's a dialogue. It takes two to pray. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya
0: on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Why do we need Catholic Radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology, I myself, as a priest, am always learning.
1: Father Wade thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening.